Imagine this, the camera zooms in on a vibrant festive scene that somehow matches up perfectly with that rainbow soundtrack we just heard. Kids dancing, playing with puppets, parading in costume, laughing and singing somewhere over the rainbow. You know, kind of Disney-like. Only unlike the Disney I grew up with, this rainbow movie is not all white. Quite the contrary. There is no dominant hue here, either playing games or on the walls and windows, which are truly beautiful. Awash in subtly shifting colors, textures, and fairy tale images. But this isn't just a kid movie. There are adults here too, quite a few actually, moving purposefully, watching, joining in, and leading. Yeah, well, teaching. That's right. You guessed it. It's a school, K through 8 to be exact, and given all the fun and games and extras, you're probably thinking, yeah, it's a special school. One with a curriculum that caters to the uniquely special needs of the special students who are privileged to go there. Clearly, one of those schools they call public in Great Britain and private here in the USA. But there you would be mistaken. The Community School for Creative Education was authorized by the Alameda County Board of Education to operate as a Waldorf-inspired charter in the fall of 2010. We all embrace uh, what community school is about. It's about equity, it's about love, it's about caring, it's about bringing the best to the children, especially in San Antonio that we're so proud of. This is a dream come true. That was Alejandra Baez in the school's front office describing the impact the community school has had on Oakland's San Antonio neighborhood. Today, like most public schools in California, the community school is currently serving its students from a distance. To learn more about the school's unique history and approach, I spoke with Ida Oberman, the school's founder and executive director, in late September of 2020. Story? 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 From the Center for the Study of Art and Community, this is Change the Story, Change the World, a chronicle of art and transformation. I'm Bill Cleveland. Part one. Free and proud. Good morning. Good morning. I'm sorry I'm late. No problem. No problem. You know, time is a is a completely different construct in the in the digital universe. <laughs> we could be any place and any time. I know. Were you playing it your guitar this morning? I play my guitar uh, in between everything I do, yeah. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So, um, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story. And as you know, I've spent a good part of my adult life being associated with Waldorf education. So, I'm particularly excited because your brand of this educational journey is different than the typical one, and, and particularly here in the Bay Area. So I'm just going to begin with a question I start off with everybody, which is, 
what is it that you do in the world? What's, what's your work? What's your mission? <laughs> um, so my mission is to, to work with others to ensure that a intercultural Waldorf option is available to any community of families who so choose, regardless of income, regardless of race or class or color. Returning to Waldorf Education's original intent, almost to the month, 101 years ago. Wow, yes, because the first Waldorf school was in fact a publicly available school for a factory workers. It was right? a, um, a openly available school. The title free Waldorf education was then proudly held. And when I went to the Waldorf school in Tübingen, Germany, very close to Stuttgart, the founding site in the 1960s, we were always so proud of those letters, free, freie, vital, mm -hmm. free Waldorf school. And it was not just freedom of heart and mind, but also of pocketbook. So for those people who are listening, who are going, Waldorf, yeah, what, what is that? What, <laughs> could you just do a elevator description of what Waldorf and the Waldorf movement is all about? Yes, of course, I'd be glad to. Waldorf education is cousinly related to uh, Montessori, which many of your viewers might be more familiar with. They were from the same time, about 100 years ago, Dr. Maria Montessori in inner city Rome, Italy, and Dr. Rudolf Steiner in inner city Stuttgart, Germany. And what brought them to the fore is that they recognized that education was not just a matter of educating the head, but it was educating the heart and the hand. And uh, where, just one more point of reference, where Maria Montessori really understood learning by hand and all project-based learning very much grows out of that. Dr. Steiner added to that the emphasis of the heart, that everything is a matter of the heart. And we have brain research now that confirms that if we do not have relational trust, if we are not engaged with our heart, then learning can't occur with the head. So 100 years ago, Rudolf Steiner focused on head, heart, and hand. The other important thing is that Children are not shrunk adults, but that there's actually a developmental arc to learning and to living, and that children should learn in different ways, in sequential ways, in scaffolded ways, in meaningfully scaffolded ways as we go through the years of our lives. So it's head, heart, and hand, it's developmental, and it's deeply relational, that if we do not have a relationship, we will not learn. So at the heart of Waldorf education is relationship, which actually means love. So most Waldorf schools are in fact, like Montessori, private schools, mm -hmm. but your school is a little different. Could you describe how it's different and how that came about? Yes, gladly. So many Montessori and Waldorf schools became private school options, contrary to the intent of either founder, we should say. Um, and, and when Waldorf education came to America in 1928, it was beautifully and thankfully bankrolled by a couple of uh, deep-pocketed funders. And first with intent of large scholarships, but then money's dried up and uh, things changed and it became a much sought after private school option. What we did from our founding on 
before our founding is say, let us return to the original intent, as you say, it was for the children of the workers of this Waldorf Astoria cigarette factory. It was free because this Waldorf factory owner, Emil Mold, bankrolled the effort. And at the time, the thought was that if we do well, then other businesses will recognize and there'll be a continual bankrolling to make up the difference so that rich and poor, girls and boys, different cultural backgrounds could all live together. That didn't happen. So now we recognize if it's not the private sector closing the Delta, we need to go back to what we know is a gift of public education where America has been so leading for over a century that we ensure that through the public system, this option would be available to all. And so 10 years ago, I started working with fellow community leaders, fellow parents through a very respected community-based organization, one to build relationship and trust for me to also learn a lot. I sat at the feet of organizers who've been working in Oakland for decades so that I could learn about community organizing and then work with other parents who so chose to first see what is Waldorf education. Many parents had never heard of it, actually almost all. And if they heard anything, they knew it was white wealthy and weird and we were going to show that it was so much more and so we did it uh, we started with the support of a very wise organizer to visit Waldorf schools private Waldorf schools the beautiful San Francisco Waldorf school the beautiful East Bay Waldorf school we also visited public Waldorf charters. We had to say none of them look like your children and you. They're all highly white and wealthy, but let us see what of this is for us. What if this is for our community? What is for our future? And it's the parents who visited with, thanks to the gracious hospitality of the Novato Waldorf School, the Napa Waldorf School, um, the Sacramento Public Waldorf Schools. They came back and said, Oakland is ready for Waldorf education, where others said, <laughs> is Waldorf ready for Oakland? And that is what we've proven to be so. Part two. Not done, but unfolding. So when you started, did you consider this an experiment or did you have a sense that in fact, the conclusion that the foundation, the ground was, was fertile? for this to be planted here in Oakland? I did not see it as an experiment in the sense of it's never been done before because right. I knew we're resting on the shoulders of a hundred years of elders and wise sages. I did know that it was a deep innovation. As Dr. Steiner said that none of it is imitation, but innovation, none of it is replication, but research and Waldorf is not done, but unfolding. This is what Dr. Steiner taught. So in that spirit, it is the most ex deep extension of his teachings. I did know that there was great risk involved because it so bumped up against many uh, conceptions that had been, I almost want to say encrusted, but at least sort of rigidified into being regarded as Waldorf truisms where I would suggest it runs exactly against what Dr. Steiner and the founding teachers taught, most fundamentally that the Waldorf curriculum needs to be deeply responsive to the community it serves, 
that the Waldorf organizational structure needs to be de deeply responsive. And mostly, Dr. Steiner said, teachers need to be Weltmännisch, they need to be people of the world. It needs to be responding to the call of the future today to build a better world, not looking back to the reality of 100 years ago. So this is not replicating 1919, this is building 2025. <laughs> Great way of putting it. So if we could move out of the story and the history and the intent, if you could take us into your school. So what's the story of the school? What's the feeling of the school that a new student might feel when they walk through the doors? What's happening? The story of the school, the history of the school and what people are feeling. Maybe I'll flip it and first say what you hopefully feel when you come in, what people report, and then the, uh, the story and the history. I would think that everybody feels you are welcome here. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that it's uh, you come in a stranger, you leave a friend, that everybody knows when they come that they'd like to stay. And it's not just because of the welcome of the people, but it's the beauty that we learn from Waldorf education, the lazured walls, the music that filters through the halls, the children that are holding hands and singing as they walk. I would also say that it's, it's among the most diverse schools in Oakland. I think we would also see that it's a deeply community-based organization. So when you come in, you see community families come in and are very active in our always buzzing Family Resource Center. There's an open door between classrooms and Family Resource Center and the outside world, but community leaders come. The local pastors come and they offer mentoring. The local food bank comes and helps build with us so that we offer food services to our community, et cetera. The history, the story of the school, my personal history is that I'm myself Dutch and moved to Germany when I was nine and have a family that's Jewish. So it was very scary in the 60s. And the one place our parents enrolled us just because they learned that this was a school that might be more tolerant of non-German speaking students was the Waldorf School. And so in that time, those following 12 years that I was at the Waldorf School, I felt it to be so embracing of me, but that it was about learning through the arts, learning through music, learning through recitation, learning through relationship, and so feeling that I'm leaving, becoming a very strong leader for others. Then I was able to go to America for college, to Stanford PhD, but always knowing I so got that inspiration from Waldorf education that wasn't hammering away direct instruction, but really letting me live with my fellow students through the arts and beauty and purpose. So the story of the school is wanting to bring that to our school as well. And that is really what binds our teachers, our parents, and our children. We now have our graduates coming back very loyal. Mm. The school has a name, an interesting name, the Community School for Creative Education. So could you talk a little bit more about what that means, creative education? In 2007, when I was really thinking about starting the school in Oakland. Um, my mother, my elder mother and I did a trip through South Africa to learn about the Waldorf schools there because that has such a deep legacy of Waldorf schools really being far ahead and boundary breaking in terms of integration long before apartheid had been abolished legally. And there I went to the Rudolf Steiner College that had just gotten through a very conscious name change to call, rename themselves Center for 
education. And I asked why, and they said, because if you say Rudolf Steiner College, only people who know Rudolf Steiner will come. It's inward facing. If we say center for education, it's outward facing. And I brought that to Oakland and spoke with our families who were leading, said, what do you think of Center for Education? And they said, that can be, but one word has to be in there too, and that's community, because we are a community school, hence community school. Yes. And could you talk a little bit about the importance of the imagination for your school, for developing children, and how that shows up in what happens for students in the school. I think that now we more and more feel it as particularly now under COVID when we're all pressed against our screens, how life-giving imagination is. And sometimes it feels ephemeral, but if we realize that imagination is really at heart thinking about the relationship amongst things that have not been yet, that's when you create new things. Imagination is where you actually can bridge what is before us right now and think of a better, more beautiful world. And beauty is important because that is also about relationship, relationship of colors, relationship of matter, relationship of people. So the imaginative power means not only preparing the children, and this distinguishes our school and Waldorf schools overall, it's not just to prepare the children to succeed, Uh, against the benchmarks that have been set to win in the race that has already been outlined. It is to think of new benchmarks. It's to blaze new trails, to build a better tomorrow, to build something that has not yet been yet. And that is creating a better future. And that's the ultimate purpose of education. Part three, education from the inside out. My experience with Waldorf and probably one of the things that was most important to me as a musician and as a writer and a person who's been involved in the human creative process for my whole life is that coming into the school, seeing the school, feeling the school and learning about the curriculum, there's a child's development deeply involves their imagination and how critical that is. Can you talk a little bit about how that shows up in the classroom? Thank you. I think I need to really go back to the point that uh, learning is developmental, so it will show up differently in our kindergarten than in our eighth grade. But each set of the way it is that the children are creating out of themselves. It's that education from the inside out rather than the outside in. So in kindergarten, it's the free play just as in eighth grade, it's the free imagination of your class project, of how you're doing a literary project, how you're doing a woodwork project, but it is always that it comes out of you rather than you being able to meet the standards that have been placed before you. We want our children to meet standards. I wanna be very clear, that's the pathway out of poverty, but it doesn't end there. That's the floor, not the ceiling. It's tremendously important that children can create out of the South something that is uniquely them and uniquely new. One of the things I remember most specifically from when my kids were there is all of the places, all of the struggles that I had in my own educational experience, many of them, having to do with um, rote learning and math and drill and memorization. And I remember coming into a classroom and seeing the parts of speech in color and seeing people in circles Um, dancing the multiplication tables and reciting 
the multiplication tables and actually laughing and having a good time around it. That's some very serious work. Is, is that some of the kinds of things that, that you know, would show up when we walked into some of these classrooms? Absolutely. That is what you will see when you come into our kindergarten. You see them clapping and singing and moving and stomping their feet. They, when it comes to the letters, not, do they, not only do they walk the letters, do they sing the letters, do they tell stories about the letters, but they also bake the letters. <laughs> yeah, uh, baking letters. The power of that head, hand, and Heart approach certainly extends to more than just the school's students. Arcella Alvarado, one of the school's founding parents, speaks about the positive difference the school has made for her son and the joy that it has brought to her family. Muy, muy, muy buena. Tengo un hijo mayor, pero también se nota mucho la diferencia y esta escuela es de muy buena calidad. Estoy I asked Ida how this hands-on approach evolves through the grades. When we come to third grade, they will absolutely be doing very complicated where I have trouble keeping up and we need to be very respectful and not just squeeze in and think we can join. Very complicated steps and coordination and crossing the midline where you're actually learning geometry. You're not just learning the third grade lessons, but you're learning get algebraic concepts, getting ready because it's scaffolded, but you're also learning to do the times tables and you're learning it with your body. You're learning it with your heart because you're singing a song, you're clapping it, you're singing it, you're walking it. And that only then do you write it beautifully in your main lesson book. In fact, as a public Waldorf charter, we had to bring our request to the board and we made the board stand in a circle and clap and sing and throw bean bags. Say, this is how you will learn in our school to do the times tables, won't you join? And it was a very fun event. That's great. Now you mentioned the main lesson book and I'm happy to say that my, I have a, a drawer here filled with main lesson books for my kids which was certainly not an experience I had in my education. Could you just touch briefly on children making their own texts? <laughs> um, that I also have my drawer and I've done many moves, but I have my drawer and my mother has the rest of them and she is 90. Yes, very important. And the children now, those who've gone on to high schools, we're almost old enough that we have our first graduating from high school, but they're now in 12th grade. They all cherish their main lesson books. We don't cherish our textbooks. They're often the ones that we don't treat well when we have them. We certainly don't retain them. And the children are so proud. And it's not just that they've written every page. They've bordered every page. They've drawn every page. This is their creative work. And that is what is so important that not just the content, but the rendition has flown into the pages and it is done with love. There's one thing I want to lift up that runs through all of this from kindergarten on, and that is the power of the story. That power of story is such a heart piece of the imagination and for the starting to critically think, but always having your thinking be deeply connected to moral thinking, because the stories are not just to teach you the facts of history, to teach you the facts of algebra, to teach you the facts of science. They will also teach you 
the purposes of life and that there is something like good and bad and courage and meeting challenge. And that really runs through all and is such a connective web and so unique to what you feel in a Waldorf school that the purpose is really to build a better world together. That's the power of story. And obviously aligned with the name of this podcast, Change the Story, Change the World. And one of the things I think about when I think about your school in particular is that we live in a world sometimes where the stories that inform what we think and what we believe sometimes seem to come from places other than ourselves. And could you talk about a little bit about not only children receiving stories that inform the way they see the world, but also growing agency and autonomy in the, in the forging of their own story and their own path in the world. Yes, and really that is the heart of Waldorf education is to start to hear more and more clearly your purpose and your path in the world and feel stronger and stronger in your agency to quest for it and then fulfill it, which is of course a lifelong journey. Yes, the power of the story actually builds it's not that in a kindergarten we ask a child to tell your own story, that immediate, highly cerebral approach is not contrary. It's surrounding the children with stories of heroic examples of questing, of, as in every fairy tale, of going through a challenge and then coming to the end, uh, coming to the next side of the challenge. And out of that being enveloped by all these different personages that surround you, enrich you. Also children who might in their journey, their physical journey, not have left East Oakland. Their world is rich with all they've met through story, which enlivens them to tell their own story. They know that they can draw from those who are companions, are elders in art, in movement, in song, and then more and more as we get to the upper grades. Part four, a call to action. So tell me, how has the community school responded to what I can only call our altered universe? Yeah, yes. Uh, right from the beginning, we saw it as a call to action. And when I say the beginning, I don't mean March. I mean, already when there was the initial concerns from China, we have many families that are from mainland China and Southeast Asia, um, because by February, there was um, some real bigotry expressed on public transportation and in grocery stores against our family members that people would shrink away from them because of the thought that they had brought the COVID. So that was already where we knew this is not just a health crisis, but that this is a social justice crisis and a call for us to really come together rather than be rent asunder. And so from the beginning, we spoke deeply about how we care for each other and support each other and talked about how when you see something, you say something, that children and adults aren't silent bystanders when others are experiencing injustice. And then in addition, of course, on the health crisis level, we immediately, when it was clear that it would 
result in us going on closed down and when it resulted in thinking about how to support children and families when they can no longer be in the rhythm and embrace physically of school, how can we still maintain that rhythm and embrace? And we started from March 13, you might recall that's when the schools at 6 p.m. were closed to reopen distance learning in Oakland to open distance learning on Monday, March 15th at 8 a.m. that we already started to have a Waldorf art kits so that the children would not only have assignments, which for everybody initially, in, especially in underserved communities, were not just online, but paper and pencil because many of uh, paper and writing kits because many of our families weren't connected because of the digital divide weren't connected yet, but that we also provided Waldorf art kids so that children had stories and beautiful crayons, Stockmeyer crayons and their main lesson books at home so that they could continue to create beauty and use their imagination while there was so much bearing down on the children. And this is all in addition to the regular of making sure that then children would get the materials at home and we worked as everybody does very hard from March 15 on to make sure what kind of levels of connectivity each families had and what they needed in support. And finally, we knew that this was also a food dignity question that we thought and put in place a food distribution and partnered with NUMI Foundation. So we not only had food pickup, but also food delivery for the highest need families and those mm. who didn't feel safe to go out or couldn't go out because they themselves or another needed their constant presence. And finally, we worked to bring a free COVID testing to our school through the city so that as families picked up their food and their Waldorf art kits, their learning kits, they would also get free COVID testing. And we started to build what we called COVID care packages where our families could actually, for each family member, get a satchel where there was a sanitizer and a mask. And a lot of our families just didn't have those things. One, there was just to get the information out, but then to provide it for everybody. So those are just a few. So mm -hmm. it's always thinking about whole child, whole family, whole school, whole community. Whole community, we are also serving those beyond the reach of our school, but who needed to be served. So when children who have access engage learning in the online environment, is there something about what you're doing in the interface that is keeping alive the, the sense of, of awe and wonder that permeates a Waldorf education? Absolutely, and even more so. For one, if we were looking at each other and you were one of our teachers, you would see beautiful azure background and cloth curtains so that even in on the screen level, beauty is brought, the story is brought, which is not easy. It took some time to, for the children to be able to engage in a story in distance learning. But we always start with standing up and clapping and throwing beanbags and doing exercise with tennis balls because it's even more important that we get into our body and into our heart before we get into our mind. Yeah. A related question is, as you move forward into the unknown, in some cases, what do you see as the roles that creative education and learning can play in our transition to what will likely be a new world? Yes, I'm thinking of an elder who said the fabric of our society has been rent asunder. And as we 
sew it back together, we want to sew a stronger cloth, a more tightly woven cloth that will hold us all better. And in that spirit, everything that I just described to you should be true even when we return back to brick and mortar. We really need to think about parents as partners, the privilege of working intimately with our parents, them working intimately with us, all at once that divide of the parents not really seeing the teacher and the teacher often not seeing the parents and certainly not the home, all of that is taken down. What a step, also what an incredible potential if harnessed properly so that we understand many of our children feel safest when we mimic the environment of their home. We know that from Waldorf mm -hmm. education, mm -hmm. but also the majority of our children learn best when in our learning, this is why we talk about authentic learning, we draw from the realities of their home, that they really can think about how do I learn my math by thinking about the cooking with my mother. It's everything that Rudolf Steiner said 100 years ago now comes to life and we may not forget that. Even if we're back together, we should still say, now let's think about how you can do that at home when you cook by your mother's side. Wow. So I have to believe that some of our listeners are hearing about this, this world of education for the first time. If we have generated some curiosity out there among people who have heard your story, where, where should they go to learn more about Waldorf education and particularly its integration into the public system? They should definitely visit our website www.communityschoolforcreativeeducation.org, and that will guide them further. Then we always ask you to come and visit physically when your time allows. Great. Ida, it has been an extraordinary pleasure to speak to you, to learn from you, and to sh share just, I know, the tip of the iceberg of the story that is the school that you have helped to make in Oakland. And I hope this is just the first of many conversations. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Story, story, story. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. And remember, the show notes for this episode and all other episodes include full transcripts of our conversations and links to all the references and resources mentioned. Change the Story, Change the World is a production of the Center for the Study of Art and Community. It is written and hosted by me, Bill Cleveland. Our theme and soundscape are composed by Judy Munson. Stay safe, stay well, subscribe to this podcast, and please 